Hi, I'm Betty Long, and welcome to the Lighting Your Way podcast. During season two, we are delving in deeper to the amazing lives and stories of nurses and other healthcare professionals from around the country. We will also be talking with a few of my nurse advocate colleagues at Guardian Nurses, and on occasion, even some real live patients. You'll get a behind the scenes peek at the healthcare system, as well as get advice on how to get the best care when you or a loved one is a patient. Among other celebrations, November celebrates Hospice and Palliative Care Month. While hospice may be better known and may be better understood, palliative care is not. Palliative care is specialized medical care for people living with a serious illness and is focused on providing relief from the symptoms and the stress of the illness. The goal is to improve quality of life for both the patient and the family. Provided by a team of specially trained doctors, nurse practitioners, nurses, and other specialists who work together to meet the needs of the patient, not on the patient's prognosis. It is appropriate at any age and at any stage in a serious illness, and it can be provided along with curative treatment. According to the Center for the Advancement of Palliative Care, in 2000, only 25% of our nation's hospitals reported having a palliative care program. The good news is that number is much improved. At last check, it was increased to 75%. Today, we talk with Christine Coletta Hansen, a board-certified adult nurse practitioner and an advanced certified hospice and palliative nurse. Chris has been a nurse for more than 30 years, 17 of which have been as a nurse practitioner in palliative care. She shares her knowledge and experience with us in this episode. Good morning, Chris Hansen. Welcome to the Lighting Your Way podcast. Thank you for having me, Betty Long. It's a yeah. pleasure. Yeah, it's great. Thank you. Um, I, I've been wanting to talk about uh, palliative care uh, for a while uh, in season one. And now thank you for uh, your willingness to come on, because I think you have a lot to offer our audience, particularly about, uh, you know, the fact that you're working in it. So so tell me, uh, tell me a little about you. Uh, you've been a nurse for how many years? Oh, my gosh, 30 plus. Congratulations. Very long time. And a nurse. Uh, Thank you. And a nurse practitioner for 17 of those. Years, wow. So. Wow. So you you were one of the early birds, right? Nurse practitioners. I was. Yeah. I, we were. Yeah. Early. Yeah. Now there's so many of us. It's a, it's a phenomenal growing field. But yes, back back 17 years ago, there was a lot less of us. Correct. So you were a pioneer even then. <laughs> and listen, your timing, your timing for this podcast couldn't be per- more perfect. I don't know if you realize, but November is National Hospice and Palliative Care Month. So um, whether uh, okay. you intentionally or unintentionally <laughs> chose Nova- the first week in November, you, you timed it very well. Very good. And, and tell me what that is there recognition? Is there what, what happens during that week? Uh, honestly, I think each individual healthcare institution honors their staff in different ways. Um, but it is the months that we all set forth and we recognize the specialties um, and, and the work that's done and the patients' lives that we touch every year. And um, I, and I think it's a special time for certainly all of us 
to also kind of reflect on right. the year and especially last year, right? Um, right. Palliative yeah, sure. care in, in the year of COVID was unlike anything any of us had ever seen. So um, it's, it's just a nice time to always be reminded that the work that we do is important and impactful and, and, um, and to remember a lot of the patients that we served. Right. Right. Particularly if it's Thanksgiving and usually a month of, of gratitude. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, so you have been, so long time, congratulations on your successful career, first of all. Um, oh, and and I have known you a long time, but you weren't always in palliative care. So what, no. what has been your path uh, to your current position? So that's always a great question. Everybody always asks that, and I, I love telling the story, actually. Um, I started out as an ICU um, ICU nurse almost right out of school. And it, my when I was first a nurse, it was during the first nursing shortage. And so I can remember coming out of nursing school at gosh, what, 21, 22, right. and being a charge, a charge nurse and thinking, <laughs> oh, my goodness, I've got no business. Right. Being Welcome a to nursing. Nurse, but <laughs> You're in charge. Exactly. <laughs> baptism by fire. Um, <laughs> but I, I started out in the ICU in a teaching institution. I loved it. I loved the camaraderie. I loved being with med students, residents, fellows, nurses. Um, and I did that for a few years. And then I had an, a patient encounter that changed my trajectory forever. Um, back then was really before advanced directives were very prevalent and durable power of attorney for healthcare. And we were taking care of a patient who was um, 102 years old, who had wow. come in from a facility, who was cognitively impaired um, and fetally contracted. And wrists were contracted, knees were to the chest contracted, and she was declining rapidly. There was no family to find. There was no advanced care plan in her chart. And we had to code her. And as you can imagine, doing chest compressions on someone who's fetally contracted, um, it was terrible. And it was something that I went home that night and had to really reflect on. And I think we all in nursing have those moments that sometimes change our path. And it certainly was my path change. And as God would have it. Um, about two weeks later in the paper, there was an ad for a hospice nurse, and it was the first hospice to be formed in our area. Okay. And I was like, it's a big change, you know, yeah. critical right, care. From, and right, from medicine. ICU to, yep. Right, big change. But I thought, oh my goodness, if I could have done anything death, death, differently to impact that woman's last moments, I, I would have done it in a heartbeat if there was even anything available to have done that at that time. And so I interviewed for the job and I was only, I guess I was only 23 at the time. And back wow. then, you know, it was very young to be a hospice nurse. They thought right. you really needed a lot more life experience. Right. right. But 
um, Priscilla had given me an opportunity and I fell in love with holistic nursing care. I fell in love with journeying with people throughout their, um, their life limiting illness and, and being there through it all. Um, and then as you, as you know, as a nurse, we are then also asked in a specialty area when we would call and ask physicians, you know, may we order this for Mrs. Jones and may we do this for Mrs. Smith. Um, and the doctors would always say, do, do what you feel is right. Do what okay. you want right. to do. And I'm like, right. wow, I think I would like to go back to school <laughs> and legally be able to <laughs> prescribe whatever I would like right. and be able to be very autonomous in those decisions. And um, and so that's what speared me to go back and get my master's and become a nurse practitioner. And and then actually fell in love with palliative care because then I got to broaden the like not only the length of time I was with my patients. I have patients who have been on my service the entire time I've been at my current institution. Great. Um, to, so to journey with them through their whole chronic illness and sit, do all their symptom management and just goals of care with them together, and but also to be an independent practitioner that works collaboratively collaboratively with the healthcare team. And it, it just was the perfect fit for me. So oh. palliative care, I have been doing exclusively for the past 17 years. But wow. before that, I was a hospice nurse, a hospice executive director, a hospice uh, tri-state clinical coordinator and educator. Um, I started a pain and Supportive Care of the Dying program for another local hospital system. I, wow. My roles have changed a lot over the years, but palliative care um, as an adult palliative care nurse practitioner is truly where my heart lies. Wow, that's a great story, Chris. And and thanks to the 102, I'm sure you're thinking of her uh, this month, 102. Absolutely. Wow. wow. Yeah. That's great. What yeah. a great that good for you. And I, I think surely you uh, were led to this because obviously you were led to nursing for a reason. But this this sounds like uh, somebody somebody had uh, picked you out <laughs> to do to do hospice <laughs> I, I and often think so. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. Especially the ad, I like the ad. You know, when when there were ads in the paper, <laughs> like you're dating yeah, yourself to right? open up. A... <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. I know. Oh my gosh. And I still remember getting paper, you know, getting right. the newspaper, right. not finding yeah. it on my phone. Yep. Right. And I, I still remember the nursing magazines that would get delivered and you'd flip through and, you know, see who was hiring. Yep. Um, exactly. So, so I think um, we have a lot to talk about, but I think one of the things, um, and we've talked a little bit before, uh, there's a lot of misconceptions about palliative care. And, and I think, um, as you said, you worked in hospice care and now you're in palliative care. There, there is a distinction, right? And, and I think I'd like yeah. to talk a little bit about some of the misconceptions, which you've alluded to, but the first is that palliative care is only for people who are dying, right? You've, you've said you've had people on your service for, you know, as long as you've been at this one institution and that's probably a couple of years, right? So yeah. Tell us a bit, like, how do you respond to that? Like, that it's only for people who are dying. 
Yeah, I, I think it's very common for us to walk into a, a patient's room in the hospital or a patient's home or a nursing home, ALF, wherever they happen to be, and introduce yourself as a member of the palliative care team. And the very first words that a patient or family will will say to you is, oh, I'm, I'm not ready for hospice. And, right. and so we start very, very frequently, we start off with that distinction and dispelling the myth that they're the same, that they're synonymous. Um, I, what I like to say is um, hospice care is always palliative, but not all palliative care is hospice care. Ah, and what I, mean, what I mean by that is palliative care is a medical resource, a holistic team resource for anyone living with any chronic condition. It can be heart failure, cancer, d- dementia, COPD, any chronic condition that has symptoms that need to be managed, that have um, the need to have us introduced to help develop patient-centered, goal-directed care, meaning what are the goals of care for this patient and their family, and how do we make sure that we are not only medically meeting those needs, but from a resource perspective, putting things in place that help them live their life as fully as possible with a chronic condition, and we can be part of their care throughout any curative treatment that they want to have, um, journey with them through that whole trajectory, help make advanced directives for them when the conversations are not crisis conversations, um, when they're able to be thoughtful conversations um, that... And and really start to get people comfortable with these discussions. And so certainly the earlier we get introduced as a palliative care team, the more beneficial for a patient and family. But yeah, we we I have patients who have been just diagnosed with a, a stage one cancer, but they're having very difficult to manage pain or nausea and vomiting. And so we'll get introduced then and help assist them with symptom management, maybe some initial goals of care. We may stay involved throughout their treatment, or sometimes we do such a bang-up job that we we only need to be involved in a short period of time, make treatment recommendations, and are able to turn it back over to the specialist until they need us at a later time. Right. Um, yeah, and I think that, I mean, hearing you talk about you know, symptom management and kind of holistic approach, it it's, feels like it's, palliative care should be consulted for everybody, right? Anybody going through, right? right? It does. It's like, oh, I yes. want that, right? I want, I want, I want symptom yes. management. I don't want to be nauseous and vomiting. Okay, great. Where do I yeah. sign up? Mm-hmm. So, so, I mean, it's not that I, I like the distinction about the hospital between the hospice care and the palliative care. Um, and so what do you think when you look at your current roster of patients, uh, do a lot of them have cancer? Is it a, is it a smattering of different diagnoses? What, what What's the, you know, kind of look, what's it look like? No, it's a great question. Uh, no, my, and I think it's one of the other things I love so much about the, the field. I have some cancer patients. I have a lot of CHS, COPD patients. I have a lot of Parkinson's, dementia uh, patients, hmm. I have end-stage liver failure. I have um, 
I have one patient who has a rare disease that only 1% of the entire population has. Um, It it is never the same day twice. It is, I feel like it's very clinically challenging because it's not unilaterally focused. Um, And no, I think we really, that's the beauty of palliative care. You can have any chronic illness that that you need help with. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so why is it that, I mean, do you feel like uh, you have to be consulted, correct? So if you're, you're working in an inpatient setting, uh, a patient comes in, they're on service for, say, congestive heart failure or dementia, Parkinson's, any of those diagnoses that you mentioned, how do you get, how does your team get involved? Right. So, no, and that's a really important question. So we are a specialist team. So think of us just like you would your cardiologist, your hepatologist, your any specialist that you're seeing. Uh, I have additional certification. I'm not only an adult nurse practitioner, but I have additional certification as a certified hospice and palliative care um, nurse practitioner. And so we bill as a specialist and therefore our initial consults have to be ordered by a physician, right? Just like they would be for any other provider. However, what often does happen is we will get a family who reaches out or a patient themselves to do their own homework and their own research and say, oh my gosh, I think this is exactly what I need. And they will call us directly and say, I want palliative care for my mother, for my husband, for my son. Um, And and we will talk to them and we will then um, say, look, you just have to call your primary or your specialist just for them to put in the formal consult for us, but yes, right. we can help you. Um, so that that is often how it does happen. Do you do you find in your career over the course, and certainly when you first started, it was new and uh, probably not as well known, or maybe accepted in the healthcare field. Do you find a lot of folks ask me about advocacy, like how do doctors respond to you? So I would ask you the same question: When are, are there are there physicians that are readily like, oh, this is great. Yeah, sure. Or, or there mm-hmm. are still physicians that are reluctant to kind of consult palliative care. It's, it's a really interesting mix, but I have seen it develop more fully over time. So okay. I will say that there's a majority, because palliative care is more mainstream, because the Joint Commission, so if we're talking about an inpatient setting, right. Joint Commission really does require that palliative care be involved in many of the aspects of inpatient hospital care. Okay. Okay. Um, it has to be part of people's oncology cancer committees. It has to be part of the quality improvement team. So I think it is much more recognized um, as a specialty and an integrated part of an inpatient system. I think outpatient is something that is more developing over time. Okay. And so you have some physicians who are a little more reluctant like when, you, like you said, Betty, you know, we still hear from some physicians, oh, my patient's not ready for palliative right. care because right. they, they also right. 
still think of it, right, as something that is just last six months of life. They think of it synonymous with hospice care sometimes themselves. Um, or they feel that, you know, some physicians still feel like if I'm having to defer to palliative care, then I'm failing at something. Yep. Yep. If I if I can't meet my patient's needs, if I can't manage their symptoms, um, then I'm failing at something. Um, I've had one physician say to me, you know, I, 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 Chris, I really think palliative care shouldn't even be needed to be its own specialty. We as physicians should be able to do this. And, and it's, it was a little thought provoking because I feel like, yes, palliative care should be part of every physician training. It should be part of every nurse training, sure, sure. going, coming up through nursing school from, from med school. And I think we're seeing more and more of that all the time. Um, but to his, to his point, his point was, you know, I can't believe that we need it as a specialty, but there right. is so much nuance to what right. we do. Right. And, um, and I think the majority of physicians are very grateful for our engagement and very much want us to, to take the wheel. So, so when you're consulted in an inpatient setting uh, and the, uh, uh, the attending would consult palliative care, you're working as a consultant. Mm -hmm. um, do they, you can still make orders, write orders for that patient. Does the attending have to approve them or is that he's just kind of handing you the, the reins and saying, okay, make the orders. Right. Okay. So, so that's a really great question. And for each institution, I will tell you it's, or, or sometimes each physician that you're interacting with, they can want it to be a little different. So oh. in our <laughs> institution, we have the ability, it, it's, it's very fascinating, each culture, right? right each right. culture you go into, you adapt to that culture to meet their needs. And I will say in our institution, we're, we're able to write orders. I've always had the luxury of being able to be a consultant and that the, 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 the consults read, eval, and treat. You know, okay. I, I do that. And, and we communicate with the referring physicians and the specialties and the, and the primaries. They're always in the loop. Um, they're never blindsided about what we're doing. Um, but I have been in certain nursing home facilities where they want us to be predominantly a consultant. We okay. type up the consult, we communicate with them, but their attending of that facility has to make the approval or, you know, accept the treatment recommendations. Right. Um, so each, each culture is a little different. Yeah. So, so you talked a little bit about outpatient. Um, so is palliative care, because my experience is that mostly palliative care has been inpatient. Uh, you consult it, the palliative care team comes in, uh, or I guess in a sense, uh, when folks are getting oncology, uh, cancer treatment, they can be offered palliative care as an outpatient. Is that true? Mm -hmm. Yes. So, so our institution does a really nice job for continuity of care purposes. So we have a team that follows people in the hospital. We have um, a provide two providers who also run in uh, outpatient clinics 
palliative oh. care clinics. Okay. One of which is embed one of which is embedded in the oncology practice. Makes sense. Um, okay. And right. And one of which is freestanding. So for patients who can get to clinic, then then we have providers who can do that. And then um, I see patients fully outpatient. So I go to the homebound. I see all of the patients who can't get to clinic, who are truly homebound patients. I see them in assisted livings and in um, nursing home facilities. Great. as well. So That's we have great. the three arms that all talk and all communicate well together. And this way, whenever our, any of our patients are transitioning in between any of those services, so when they come into the hospital, it's not all new conversations. There's continuity of care. When they get discharged from the hospital to home, there's there's continuity of care. It's, okay. it's a very delicate, vulnerable time for these patients, and we really want to work hard to make sure that they feel they feel tucked in, they feel cared for. Yeah, I mean, that that's the number one, I think, problem in healthcare is that there's so many entities and communication suffers each time there is a transition. And, uh, Very you know, true. Right, and particularly if you, like you said, you're vulnerable, uh, you don't want any, you don't want any balls to drop. You want to make sure they're as yep. you say, tucked in or arms are wrapped around them. Um, Chris, are, are palliative care services available for children? I guess that would be true, right, if they're having... Yes, so there are. Um, I will say that our facility, um, we do not see a lot of peds, so we don't have a, a pediatric arm. However, most pediatric facilities all do. They all have a palliative care program. Um, so your CHOPs, your St. Chris, your Nemours, they are, you know, our local institutions that way, okay. they, they do. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be another specialty. So so tell me, tell me about, mm-hmm. I, I, w- let's talk about the team, right? So you have special certification mm-hmm. in, in palliative care. Um, what experience and qualifications do most of your colleagues have? Are nurses, they're physicians, are they, are they specially trained or oh. are they, talk about a little about team. Yeah, so um, our two, we have two lead physicians on our team. Both of them are board certified in palliative medicine. Um, I'm board certified in palliative care as well. One of the other nurses on our, nurse practitioners on our team is actually going, she's adult certified, but also um, acute care certified so that she does all of the inpatient the, all of the inpatient referrals, she's, you know, she loves the hospital okay. care department. So she does that. Our, um, our chaplain is not certified, but has been doing um, hospice and palliative care for, oh my goodness, you know, like 15 plus years. Wow. Our social workers um, are not currently specialty certified, but also have been doing palliative care and hospice care, caring for those patients for, gosh, I think combined, like over 30 years combined. Um, So people, you know, not everybody does get certified in the field, but I do feel like clinicians themselves who are providing palliative care 
do take it that extra step and want that added certification. And there's a lot that has to be maintained for that. I mean, we have to have 75 hours of specialty CME unique to the field, not in addition to your, wow. you know, primary care certification unique to the field. And so we have to do that. We have to recertify every four years. It's, mm-hmm. it's not just a, you know, blessing that right. yes, we know that you're doing this every day and right. we're going to give you your certification. It's, there's a lot involved in it. And- You said 75 hours. Is that per year or per uh, certification period? So it's 150 hours per certification period. Yikes. And that's four years. That's a lot of CMA. Yeah, that's a lot. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Wow. Um, All right. So so here's a question I was thinking about. Like when you're working with a patient uh, and then the family wants to get hospice involved, Right. Mm-hmm. So you're working with someone right. who then the family you, or you say to the family, I think, you know, our services might be uh, more effective if we had hospice involved or however you say it. When hospice mm-hmm. is involved, do you does palliative care withdraw or do you stay involved? So that's a great question. And sometimes that's a hard thing for patients and families, right? They get used to you taking care of them for eight years, you know, and you've been part of their lives for a very long time. And we do not, we, we do the handoff and because our institution is one that has three treatment arms, you know, we have home care palliative and hospice that, that all oftentimes transition patients between all three of those service lines, we, we reassure our patients and the families that, you know, hospice keeps us in the loop. You know, we still really have a, a, a touch on them, but, but it's not in a formal sort of way. Hospice is more than capable of meeting their um, symptom management needs, their goals of care needs, and, and certainly hospice brings a whole lot more service to the table. Um, so we don't stay involved actively once once that handoff occurs as far as providing care. Okay. Um, but but we do reassure them that we're always available if the you know patient wanted to talk. We we don't just abruptly cut cut all ties. Um, I think the one thing though that is important probably for patients and families to know is when we bring up in palliative care that we really feel like it's time to have that hospice discussion because they need more care support. They need that the whole team approach that is much more um, comprehensive. You know, palliative care in our program is nurse practitioner, chaplain, and social worker. We, palliative care in our program, because we're a specialty service, doesn't have the home health aides, doesn't have the ability to cover the cost of their medication. Okay. You know, does yeah. all of the other, the 24-hour on-call, I'll get in the car at 2 in the morning if you're not okay. We, do, we don't have that capability where hospice does. So when we have that discussion with somebody for the handoff, it's, it's really look, look at what you 
can be getting because right now your goal is comfort and it is less interventional okay. medicine is right. comfort based care you know Right. No, it's an, I think it's an important distinction. Now, I, a question came up for me. Uh, is palliative, because it's always important to, to note, is palliative care uh, covered by insurance, by most insurances or all insurances? Yes. So um, for us, it's a, because we are a specialty program, we are billed out just like any other specialist that you would see. Okay. Um, which allows us a really unique place. Some people's palliative care, some institutions' palliative care programs are built in under their home care program, right? So it might not be a nurse practitioner driven program in the outpatient setting. It might be under their home care that they call a a bridge program. Now for them, they they have to meet home care criteria. They have to be have to be homebound, you have to have a skilled nursing need, and all those other things. But because of the way our program is nurse practitioner driven, outpatient, and specialist driven, we can work with any other part of a care team. So if somebody does have home care, because they have skilled nursing, we can work together synergistically with that with that home care team. If they are still in treatment, if they're on clinical trials, if they're on protocols, we're able to be involved um, and get billed out as a specialist with concurrent, concurrent programs. Okay. So, so what I've worked at uh, a lot of hospitals that had uh, a separate and distinct uh, palliative care team that you, as I said, you get consulted, but I don't, think, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think every hospital has the uh, palliative care team as an entity. So so when that's the case, is there something that a family or a patient could do? Like, what would they do if they didn't have a, does every hospital have a palliative care team? So for the most part, inpatient, yeah. the answer is yes. Okay. Okay. Um, Almost every hospital at this point has a palliative care provider inpatient. Okay. Um, outpatient, you are hitting the nail on the head. Yeah. It is much harder to find a home-based or outpatient-based palliative care program. Okay. Um, and that's a challenge for us as well because whenever we have a patient who's moving out of the area um, to be with other family or what have you, it, it is a challenge to find a palliative care program that will follow them outpatient. Right. That will do what you did for them in a different city or right. a different town. Yeah. Cause I, it, it, I think yeah. that, so, so what would, uh, have you ever had the instance when you've been consulted and you've gone in and thought, no, this patient isn't appropriate. Yes. Oh, <laughs> yeah, good. I've had it both ways. We, yeah, no, absolutely. We will have, uh, we have gotten consults from from physicians, and um, the the issue really is for us what we do not do because we were set not set up to do is chronic pain management, right? Okay. Chronic pain management really really does require, as we now know, um, a lot of 
multidisciplinary approach, multimodal therapy, and the ability to do testing as well, right? Okay. So we right. need to be able to, under federal guidelines, do urine drug screens and to be able to in, involve PTOT, all the different multimodal aspects of chronic pain management. Okay. Um, so we have, uh, we have agreed as a team, we, we will do pain management in the setting of their chronic illnesses but we're not a chronic pain team. Okay. And so we'll often get referrals, you know, that from a doctor saying, look, you know, we have this patient who has RA or um, just osteoarthritis or, you know, what have you, or is chronic pain syndrome. And we're, we're not comfortable treating and it's very hard to find a pain provider. Would you do it? Um, And unless we feel we can do it very safely and meet their needs, we really, we want to really try and stay as an organic palliative care team. Right. Um, And then there's other patients where we'll get involved and we'll get referred. And the moment I walk in the door, the patient might be actively dying or close to death. And so from the moment I walk in the door, I'm on the phone with the hospice team and we're doing a handoff in real time. Wow. Yeah. I've had it. I've had both extremes where someone's not appropriate for palliative care or someone is, is actively dying when we get there and needs hospice right away. And we'll do a handoff at that moment in time. Wow. Too late to, consult right too late a little late in the right. game yeah um is yeah. chris you've you've had hundreds thousands perhaps of patient experiences when you think back right on your career is there any one patient experience that has stuck with you oh my there's 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 so I know. many there's i, I know. think right. I, tough question i think probably it is but i think you know, for us all as nurses, and you're such a huge patient and nurse advocate, Betty, and I love I love what your whole organization stands for, what you stand for. I, I think we would be really remiss to not just notice every patient encounter that we had uh, over the last 18 months, you know, uh, doing yeah. palliative medicine in the time of COVID was the most gut-wrenching experience that I've ever had as a, as a provider, um, having to have, instead of one or two patients dying a day, to go to have seven or eight or mm-hmm. nine a day and have families not be able to be there with them right. and to have all of this done on FaceTime or on the phone or um, I think all of us who did any type of serious illness care during that time, every single one of those patients are burned and their families yeah. are burned into my memory because we had to do something on such a large, tragic scale right. um, with us being the only people who were the touch points yeah. for the patient or the family, you know, I'm going to a funeral on Saturday for one of my patients. And it it was, it was such a beautiful thing because he was 
a young man in his 50s, and, and I'll never forget this either, who was, who was battling lung cancer and actually doing very well with that, but sadly contracted COVID. Um, oh, jeez. And wound up passing from COVID. Uh-huh. And his family, his family called me and said, you know, they're struggling because they had not gotten vaccinated. And, you know, so there's emotions that are involved in that, in those choices and the what ifs. And, and so they're coping in a challenging way and have complicated grief. And, but it was interesting. They reached out and they're like, we want to make sure you're at this funeral because you were, you were our eyes, you were our ears, you were our person. And um, I just think for any healthcare provider who's, who survived, (laughs) who survived the last, you know, year, you survived 2020. Um, I think it's just, those are the experiences that I take away the most. Yeah. It's a, it's a lot to bear witness to. Uh, That was, yeah. 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 Right. And, and to still bear witness to, because obviously people are still getting pretty sick and dying. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And such a large scale. So like doing palliative care, is is a wonderful thing, but then when you're amped up exponentially and doing it at rapid fire speed um, because people were just so sick, um, it, it just was something I would not want to have to live through twice. That's for sure. Well, let's from your lips to God's ears. Let's let's hope that 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 yeah. the the volume and the the severity and uh, just the sheer, uh, uh, I guess pain of it all eases uh, as we go into this winter because i i don't think nobody nobody wants a repeat of of 2020 that's for sure no Um, no um so two two more questions uh i i don't want to keep you but um if if uh our listeners were wanting more information to uh find out about palliative care are there is there a national organization? Is there a website? Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what would you recommend they do? Right. So one of one of the national what, the beauty of it is if you if you Google palliative care as everybody does Google everything anymore, a long list of resources will come up that will also include your local institutions. Okay. So you know always always kind of start local. Um, for where you are, but as far as national organizations, if you were to Google the National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization, um, they are a phenomenal resource, and they also have member organizations, so they can help facilitate you finding something in your area. Okay. Um, another is called CAPC, C-A-P-C. Center for the Advancement of Palliative Care. Um, They also have resources available. Um, It it is much easier now to find those things. Yes, thanks to Dr. Google. We just get online and voila. (laughs) (laughs) There it is. And then you you type in palliative care and there's, you know, 30 million answers. So I I wonder about the 29, you know, million, if you get to scroll down to page 523. Um, Chris, Uh-oh. what do you, uh, what do you do for fun? Uh, you have a lot to carry, uh, day in and day out. 
so how do you shake it? How do you, you know, how do you get I, let go? Yeah, I will. I will say that I felt I, I was awakened during last year that I really was not doing what I needed to do to take care of myself. Okay. And, um, and I think as many of us care providers can attest, it kind of tested our metal. Um, but what I will say is that that experience of learning, I, my goodness, I gained so much weight. I wasn't exercising. I wasn't meditating. I was just kind of treading water. Right. And I think a lot of us, you know, healthcare providers can attest to the fact that for those of us who did not do a good job of taking care of ourselves, that has become a focus for us now. Okay. So I now started to exercise. I engaged in a weight loss coach. I've been meditating. I've lost 60 pounds. Wow. Um, Yikes. I, I actually made it a focus that I needed to take better care of myself. Good for you. I have two, good for two you. sons. One of them's in high school and in his all of his sports and his travel soccer and basketball and school stuff. And then I have another son who it plays baseball for Villanova. And so I've always been doing things for them right. and doing things for our patients, but I really was not taking good care of myself. And I find that now I am a much better engaged, less burnt out <laughs> care <laughs> provider. Um, you know, and, and spending more time doing fun things and traveling more if I can and, okay. and just really engaging into the land of the living instead of kind of wow. just rolling with the land of the, the sick, you know. And um, I, I will say that other nurses had helped facilitate that with me and Good. I'm very grateful. That's wonderful. I, I know that that's a hard thing for a lot of nurses. Uh, some of my team included, we try, right? We have uh, fun things to do and, you know, just to get out mm -hmm. and, and enjoy life because you do need to be more present for folks. And, and certainly you do Absolutely. with, yeah, with, um, with the seriousness of, of your job. Cause I, I, you know, like right. I said, it's a lot to handle. And certainly with COVID, I, I sure hope you have a better, or we all have a better winter, but certainly you have yeah. a better, yes. yeah, right? So. No, definitely. <laughs> and listen, listen, the other thing I really just, before we end, like, I don't know where your time is, but you had asked me before, you know, what's the most important takeaway, right? What are yeah. the, what's the one thing we want to make sure that, that patients, families, care providers, hear from this talk and and from our palliative care experience, I, I really want to be able to say that the most important takeaway is conversation. Uh -huh. um, I, I, I hope patients, I hope patients and families talk while they're healthy about how they feel about um, their health what their goals for their care are, what is acceptable quality of life to them, what is not acceptable quality of life to them, to normalize these conversations right. early on when we're younger, when we're healthier, and to be able to have those talks with not only our family, but but with our physicians, our nurse practitioners, our PAs, um, 
and to be able to sit and think about it a little bit, knowing that how we feel about things changes as we experience different illnesses, of yeah. course, and, and that it's, it's an ebbing and flowing discussion, but talk. Don't, right. don't let it get to the place where we're in the hospital and someone comes up to us and says, what would your mom want? What would your dad want? And we're left holding a bag saying, I don't know. We refuse to ever talk about it, you know? Yep. Um, yeah. No, how but, many, right. That happens all the time. And, and I all think, um, I think for uh, families going into this is an opportune time to suggest I, not to bring Debbie Downer, but at Thanksgiving, if people are gathered uh, to have a conversation, mm-hmm. uh, you know, maybe not around mm-hmm. the dinner table, but certainly privately, like, what do you want? <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, mom. Right. Hey, dad. Right. <laughs> well, how do you feel yeah. about your last months of life? Um I think that that's important because you don't, as you mentioned that in your conversation, you don't want to have a decision made in a crisis, right? You don't want to have that conversation over a bedside in a hospital. Right. Right. It's a very emotionally charged time and and you don't have a lot of time to think about it. Um, But, but I think knowing, knowing your loved ones is really important. Knowing what they want or wouldn't want is really important. Um, and it does make that time because it's going to happen for all of us, right? Yep, yep. <laughs> None of us are getting out of here alive, as they say. So <laughs> it, 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 it certainly will be something that happens to and for all of us. And mm-hmm. we're all going to be confronted with it. It's so much better if we've been able to have discussions about it. Wonderful advice and a good way to end and to wish you happy <laughs> palliative care month. I hope that you are. Thank you, buddy. <laughs> I hope there's lots of celebrations uh, ahead for you because it's early in November. So hopefully throughout the month you can enjoy your your recognition because you deserve it. Thank you. Thank you so much. And, and thank you for hosting these, these sure. podcasts. This is sure. so informative. Yes. Thank you. And, and uh, I appreciate your time and we will talk soon. You've got it. Thanks, right. buddy. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. If you have any questions that you would like us to address in a future episode, please email us at podcast at guardiannurses.com. That email again is podcast at guardiannurses.com. We would love to hear from you. Thank you for joining us this week. You can find the Lighting Your Way podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google, YouTube, Spotify, and Stitcher. If you liked what you heard, tell a friend and leave us a review. You can learn all about Guardian Nurses Healthcare Advocates on our website, guardiannurses.com. So until next time, find some joy in your life, pet all the good doggies and kitties, and remember to tell your people that you love them. Take care.